I'm really excited about this sermon series because I don't know about you all, but in March <laughs> of 2020, my heart got ripped out. I mean, and, and, and what hurt my heart the most was watching like, some of these kids that I've known for six years work so hard to be able to take our, our high school to the state tournament. And we still had a game to go that Friday night, and we were just ready to get on the bus about 45 minutes at the end of the day, and we found out that they had canceled uh, all the ball tournaments. I hated that for the kids. But not only that, can we just be honest? You know how much I love basketball. But I, I was like, man, they're canceling the state tournament. But then when I heard that they canceled March Madness, then you knew something big was going on, right? Because who was going to leave in the neighborhood of 35 to $50 billion on the table is what the, is what the tournament brings in. And not only in 2020, not only in just in sporting events, the Olympics was canceled. And, and Broadway shows, you can't go to New York to watch a Broadway show. And you know, if you want to get real personal about it, even a lot of what we do, you know, you know, graduations were different. And everything, it seems like in our culture has been altered by this virus, right? I mean, we don't, we don't have to be a rocket scientist to say that. I mean, some people... It was heartbreaking to know that they didn't, weren't able to celebrate Thanksgiving together. Uh, our uh, campus minister at Taze Valley, Steve Harley, was telling about, you know, this was going to be the last Thanksgiving that his family was able to uh, participate in, uh, in their original home, because his mom and dad were moving, but the virus uh, had affected one of the family and they couldn't get together. So he said that they were doing it virtually and it was just awkward to see his parents just sitting around an empty Thanksgiving table uh, having that time. So, hey, the teens are already out over there, Latrell, so you're good, buddy. So, um, but anyways, uh, that would be hard when you think about it. So it just seems like everything in our society is getting canceled or postponed. Well, this series is called We're Not Canceling Christmas. And I want to be able to show you from a historical standpoint from the scriptures today that this idea of trying to cancel Christmas has been going on for thousands of years. And, and, and when you think about it, uh, it almost feels like, you know, what else is going to be canceled? We just expect things. You know, just yesterday, the, the, the report, and I don't know if you follow the, the, the guy named Wilson Harvey. I don't even know that guy, but every day he does a daily report of what's the numbers and the cases, and it just seems like things are going crazy, not only in West Virginia, but, you know, I, I just saw what the California going to like 27 million people were at a stay-at-home order, and you remember that back in March? First week wasn't bad, right? The second week wasn't really that bad, but by the time we went to the third and fourth week, you know, it was kind of like going on a family vacation with extended family, right? First couple of days, great, right? That third day, things start to bother you, right? And, you know, on that fourth or fifth day, you want out. Is that right? I mean, can we just be honest? I always say that the max number of days that family, extended family should go on vacation together is three because it's a good fish rule. After three days, the fish starts to smell bad, throw the fish out, right? So if you want to enjoy your uh, family and you go on vacation with them, try three-day shots. If you go for more than that, you're asking for trouble. So it, it just seems like that that's where we're at. And, and I don't know, I, I just get the sense from people that everybody's just, ugh, and they're done with it. And, and I'm afraid that that 
attitude will carry into our Christmas season when I believe is one of the best times of the year to be able to tell people about Jesus because everyone is talking about Christmas, right? Either they're going to go see Christmas lights this year or they're talking about things that they want to do for Christmas. What an awesome opportunity we have as Christ followers to be able to share the true meaning of what Christmas is all about. But the first thing we need to understand this morning is that from the birth of Jesus was planned from the very beginning, all right? This was not just by, you know, the first thing I want you to see on our slides is the birth of Jesus was planned from the very beginning. The very get-go, God had a plan for all this. And this wasn't some cosmic accident. God's plan for redemption was always Jesus. Listen to what John 1 says, uh, verse 1. It says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word, by the way, was Jesus himself. And it says, he was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him, uh, nothing was made that has ever been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then John goes on calling Jesus the word to call on him the true light. Listen to what he says. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. This was always the plan, that Jesus would come to us. And how would he make his way into the world? Listen to verse 14. The word became flesh. God took on flesh and was born as a baby and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen the glory and the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. You know, years ago uh, at Ohio State University, uh, there was a debate between the atheist uh, scholar, um, William Lane Craig, um, and, uh, who was an apologetic uh, 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 teacher of Jesus. He was somebody who could debate people in public about proving uh, that Jesus uh, was real. And this atheist scholar came in, and he even tried to say, well, you know, your whole story of Jesus was made up. Friends, let me let you know, not only do we have the internal evidence, which means we have the Bible that talks about the birth, the historical record of Jesus walking on this earth, we have external evidence about that. So this plan that God set forth was not only witnesses by just the church proclaiming it, even Josephus, the Jewish historian, talks about Jesus's teaching. So that idea that even through higher education, even through great learning that people are trying to cancel or, or squelch or just do away with the story of Jesus is almost ludicrous to anybody who has a historical mind and can read for themselves. Because it's not only the Bible that makes the claim that God sent his son into the world, external evidence says that we have Jesus walking on this earth. The birth of Jesus was planned from the very beginning. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary and he walked on this earth. But secondly, in this cancel Christmas culture, we need to understand that the devil tried to cancel the birth of Jesus. And I want you to understand that this morning. The devil has been at work since the beginning. Once he fell from heaven, once he was no longer part of the eternal plan of God, uh, that he was going to live in the blessings and the favor of the Father, he has been trying to cancel the birth of Jesus. Because then, again, this was foretold. The birth of the Messiah, of Jesus, was prophesied, and the devil knew it was coming. So he wanted to make sure it didn't happen. Why? Because the devil knows his destiny. He knows that when the Messiah appears and he would come, that the devil would be put to the end. In fact, read in 1 John 3, 8, what the scripture tells us this morning. 
It says, a great sign appeared in heaven. Um, you got that one? First John 3, 8, maybe we don't have that one. Uh, it says, the reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Now, that's, that's what 1 John 3, 8 says. The reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Now, let me tell you a little bit about that. If you and I knew, if you put yourself in the devil's shoes, which might be easier to do than putting yourself in Jesus' shoes, <laughs> but if you and I knew that there was coming someone to destroy us, wouldn't you do everything you could to stop it? I mean, parents, all right? When your babies learn to crawl and start to walk and you go into a room and there's a bunch of outlets, <laughs> lights, places to plug stuff in, what do you all do? You freak out, don't you? Um, supposedly, I didn't go this way, but I read from others, even last night on Facebook. So if it's on Facebook, it's got to be true, right? Uh, that there was nails on Granby Road from Little Beaver all the way up past the gas station that somebody, had, uh, whether they put them out there on purpose or on accident, there was nails out there. Well, Ruth saw that. And so this morning she said, hey, if anybody's going that way, you might want to go a different way so you don't get uh, uh, nails in your tire." That, that's the same type of idea that what the devil was trying to do with the birth of Jesus. If you knew that Jesus was coming, he was going to put her into your existence and your future, wouldn't you try to prevent it from happening? Listen, this idea to possibly cancel Christmas is nothing new in our culture today, right? I mean, how many of y'all remember a few years ago when you wouldn't, they couldn't call it a Christmas tree, but it's a holiday tree, that store employees weren't allowed to tell everybody Merry Christmas that you had to say what? Happy holidays. Well, let me know, let me let you in on a little secret. Long before that stuff was even taking place, the devil tried to cancel the very first Christmas. Now, I don't know about you all, but do you all remember reading the story? Anybody get the book, the story? Uh, and it was a condensed version of looking at the Bible as just a story from, and it used scripture, and, and, and a lot of churches went through that together. I remember it, uh, at, when I was at Grandview, we spent 30 Sundays preaching through the story, and each Sunday was about from, from the very beginning of creation all the way through to where we're at today and in, in, in understanding how the Bible works for us. And then there was two parts of that story. There was the lower story which was like just the events that were taking place in the daily life. And there was the upper story. And that upper story was talking about the cosmic battle between good and evil, between God and Satan. And how the lower story and what was going on in the daily lives of people was affecting what was taking place in the upper story. For example, you know, God said that he would promise, and we read scripture this morning from Isaiah in our focus verse, that God would give us a savior and he'd be born of a virgin, Right? He, pro, he prophesied that through his prophet Isaiah. But no one knew that that person's name would be Mary until it was time. That's the lower story. And so what we have here in scripture, and what I want us to be able to look at this morning, is that idea of being able to cancel Christmas has been going on in the upper story for millennia. But how it plays out, and just as it did in Mary and Joseph's life, is how it plays out for you and me. And how it plays out for you and, and your family at home. You are the ones who are going to decide if we cancel Christmas. Does that make sense? And let me let you in on a little secret. Even if you cancel your Christmas plans, that doesn't mean on the upper story that Christmas ever got canceled. 
Okay, so when you look back through the scriptures, a lot of times when you see these big battles and these big stories, a lot of us may think about what took place in the life of Jesus when he was born. And we'll get to that in this series. But I want to be able to go to the book of Revelation. And so in Revelation 12, we get this crazy, incredible description of how the devil tried to cancel Jesus before he was even born. Revelation chapter 12 is the literal and symbolic center of the book of Revelation. And there are 22 chapters in the book of Revelation. So at the beginning of chapter 12, we are here right in the middle. And some would say it is the centerpiece of what this book is all about. For 11 chapters up to this point of Revelation, you will see the churches are tempted. You will see suffering yet faithfulness of the churches. You will see judgment on earth. You will see the conflict for what is to come. And now you will see a curtain pulled back and we'll get a little glimpse of what has been going on in the upper story that we have no human account of what took place. And I want to encourage you, look at me in the scriptures, Revelation 12, verses 1 and following. Here's what the word of God says. It says, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of the 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain, and she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out in the sky and flung them uh, to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so it might devour her child the moment that he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness to place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Now, we see three players in this cosmic unveiling. We see the woman, the dragon, and the child. And in chapter 12, we see that the woman and her child are at war with the dragon. There's a battle going on. So let's clarify who the players are, starting with the easiest one to figure out. Let's start with the dragon. The dragon is the devil. And how do we know this? Because later in verse 9, we read this about uh, the dragon. The great dragon was hurled down, and the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray, he was hurled to earth with his angels with him. So in the middle of this, we have these three players. And so we know that the dragon is referring to Satan. And don't you wish that Revelation was clear with the rest of it, with all this imagery? Because so many people, when they read the book of Revelation, are trying to say, well, this is this. This is the Catholic church, and this is the Jewish nation, and this, that's man's interpretation. The Bible clearly identifies who the dragon is here. It is the devil, Lucifer, the serpent, Satan, all right? So they sin, you know, we we know kind of how the story went, but this time it's easy. The red dragon is Satan, and there is clear this is an allusion to Genesis chapter three. The ancient serpent is the one who deceived Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden. He is the one who caused them or led them and tempted them to sin, and the whole world was led astray. Again, how do we know the red dragon is described? An enormous red dragon, listen to how he's described here in the scriptures, with seven heads, ten horns, and seven crowns on its head, its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to earth. The dragon is red. Why red? 
Red represents fire, all right? Um, that's why, like, how many of you all remember the old drawings of the devil? What did he always look like? Was he red? Did he have horns? Did he look like your wife when she gets... Never mind, right now, don't, don't answer that question. Just kidding, ladies. Don't get upset about that. Did he have a tail? All right, so, so you, the West Virginia devil is the same as the Indiana devil? Yeah, that's right. It's called Duke basketball. They're just blue. They just colored him. Sorry, everybody just made a blue color. So I made all my Duke fans mad. But that's really for my buddy Eric Lawson. So um, here, here's my point, is that all devils kind of look the same, don't they? But the idea is that he's red because he's fiery, he's vengeful, he's angry. When you get mad, does anybody get red-faced? Where are the people who get red in their face when they're really upset? Can you raise your hand? Thank you. Yes, I have seen your red face. Was that because you were exhausted or were you mad? (laughs) So uh, maybe you can tell me later. (laughs) Maybe I don't want to (laughs) know. But but how many of you, when you get upset, anybody else got the vein that pops out? I got the vein that pops out. We get this. When we're angry, we see that. And we even use imagery in our phrases that when you're mad, you see what? Red. So this idea and the imagery of who Satan is, is very clear for us to be able to see. He has deceived us by thinking that he has seven crowns. This indicates that he's a prince of sorts. He's a prince of this world, and he falsely claims authority. When you read further in Revelation, you'll read that Jesus Christ has crowns on his head that say, King of kings, Lord of lords, the true authority on all heaven and earth. But Satan here is counterfeiting his authority. And again, we talked about the spiritual warfare series. This passage seems to indicate that Satan took a third of the angels, that's who the stars probably represent, a third of the angels with him when he was cast out of heaven because of his arrogant pride when he tried to take the glory that belongs only to God the Father. So the point here is the devil is strong, he is fierce, he is cunning, he is cruel, And as we'll see, he wants to thwart the plans of God. That's what the devil wants to do. That's the upper story. That's, that's, I don't know how many of you all this time of year enjoy watching all the Star Wars. I mean, it's on all the time on TBS. Anybody else? You get caught in, you're watching Star Wars one and before you know it, you're two and three. And then next thing you know, are you going to do anything today? I mean, I don't know if that happens like that in your house, but you know what's so awesome about Star Wars is what? It's a battle between the dark side and the light side and the good side of the force, good and evil. I mean, I watched yesterday the one that came back out because you always wonder how Darth Vader, when you were a young kid, you're like, how did he come into existence? And you watch how he burn up in the, in the lava flow and, you know, it was just awesome, you know, and then they put his helmet on, you're like, and you hear that, you know, all that great stuff that was going on. That's what Star Wars is all about because it's showing us the battle between good and evil. And let me tell you something right now. In our culture right now, do you feel that there's a battle between good and evil? (laughs) We're not talking about Star Wars and Darth Vader and Han Solo and, and Luke Skywalker, but we're talking about real big things that are going on in our society right now that seems like it's a battle between good and evil. Well, listen, that's been the cosmic upper story that's been going on for millennia. And the devil knows that he's not as powerful as God and he knows that his destiny is eternal damnation and his goal is to take as many people with him as possible. But the next easiest player to figure out in this story is who? 
the male child. The son that the woman is about to give birth to is Jesus. Look again to what verse 5 says. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule the nations with an iron scepter. This reference is the Psalm 2. And this is what's awesome about the Bible, that sometimes when you can't figure out, well, what's this talking about? Well, if you get a Bible that has a reference on the side of it, you can use it and it'll show you that this was referred back to in Psalm chapter 2. And it's probably talking in verse 8 9 when it says, Ask me, and I will make your I'll make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break from them with a rod iron or you'll rule them with an iron scepter, and you will dash them to pieces like pottery. The child born of the woman is none other than the long-awaited Messiah who will rule over the nations and will make the kingdoms of this world and the kingdoms of everything that we've ever understand that he will be both Lord and Savior to all. Now look at the second half of verse 5. And it says, Her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. This child, the son, was snatched up to God and to his throne. What's this about? Well, this is a reference to Christ's ascension and resurrection. That when his work was done on earth, that God snatched him and put him back at the right hand of God where he's seated today. So who's the third person in the story? The third person, many believe, is a reference to Mary. And you can see why, right? You give birth to a son, Jesus birth from a mother. He was birthed from Mary. Isaiah 7 gives us this prophecy. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel. And many believe that this is the sign, the virgin birth. This is Mary. And after Jesus was born, Herod tried to kill Jesus along with all the other young males that were two years and younger in the town of Bethlehem. Others see this as a a reference to Mother Israel. And we can talk about that at another date and time. But whoever you see this as, the idea is in the story, we have a dragon, we have a son, and we have a, we have a mother. And I want you to understand this. What does, is happening in this scene? Go back to verse four. And, and I appreciate you all sticking with me through this because I know this seems like it's a little bit lengthy. But here's the whole point. Look what verse four says. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might what? Devour the child the moment he was born. Like I said, I just said that in passing, just briefly. But in the very first Christmas, when Jesus was born, he was put into a stable, right? And do you remember when the wise men came so they could pay tribute to this king, he, they stopped by Herod and they said, where is the child to be born? And Herod consulted the religious leaders and the child was to be born in where? The town of Bethlehem, right? And we remember why Mary and Joseph had to go to the town of Bethlehem, right? That this is another part of the story. The, the Roman government was over Israel at the time and required a census to be taken. And each one of the people had to go back to their hometown. So they traveled back to Jerusalem to have the census be taken. That's the lower story. But do you remember when the wise men visited with Herod, what Herod told them as soon as they left? He sent his own men to go to the town of Bethlehem to kill every male-born baby that was two years and younger. 
I believe this is this what this exactly what this is talking about. The moment that the son was to be born, the dragon was sitting there to defeat them. But listen, and here's the greatest part of our message today. God wouldn't let the birth of Jesus to be stopped. Amen. God didn't let the birth of Jesus to be stopped. No matter what the devil tried to come up, no matter how he tried to scheme this, how he's going to try to cancel Christmas, God had a plan. His story, the story gets to show us how it ends. So in Revelation to the Christmas message, we might as well jump all the way back to Genesis. Because in Genesis chapter 3, we read about sin entering the world and we read about the consequences. We discover that sin leads to death, not only physical death, but eternal death in hell and separation from God. But in the midst of God describing the consequences of sin to Adam and Eve, God makes a prophetic statement and descendant of the woman Eve. And listen to what he says. So the Lord said to the serpent, then he's talking to the dragon, because you have done this, because you have deceived Adam and Eve, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals, and you will crawl on your belly and you will eat the dust all the days of your life. Isn't it interesting to think that the serpent might have been upright before the curse? I don't know. But he says, you're going to spend the rest of your days crawling on the dirt. And verse 15 is an important verse. Listen to what he says. And I will put an enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. Means that there will always be a constant battle between good and evil is what's going on. And notice what he says. But then God points out one thing of Eve's offspring will do to the enemy. He says, he, the chosen offspring, will crush your head. He will crush the serpent and the devil you will strike at his heel. Listen, there was a promise all the way back to Genesis 3.15 that says, because of Adam and Eve's sin, there was consequences. There was two consequences. And you know, this is, this is not in the sermon. This is more about, I want to tell you what I kind of think, how things kind of work. All right. What were the two trees that are mentioned in the book of Genesis? The tree of what? Life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? Which one were they told not to eat it from? The knowledge of good and evil, right? And you remember the story, Satan comes and deceives them. And he says, well, did God really, they said, he says to Adam and Eve, look, did God really say you couldn't eat of the trees? And they said, yeah, we can eat of anything we want in the garden, but we can't do that. And he said, well, did he really mean that? He said, you know why God told you that? Because he knows if you ate of that tree, you would become like God. And then then the Bible says that was appealing to their eye. Can I kind of sum that down for us? We all have a God complex. We'd all like to have the power of God. How many of you have been in situations that say, if I were God, I would do this. And it's usually, if we're honest, it's in your most vengeful moment, (laughs) right? Right. And so I think Adam and Eve and the story here of what's the battle with Satan is really a story of us. We all have this temptation and we are told there are things that we should not do, but yet we still do them anyways. And, and listen to me. When, when they partook, do you remember what Adam did? 
How does the story go? You all remember this story. How many of you learned it on flannel graph? Anybody learned it on flannel graph? That's awesome, flannel graphers. I love you guys. Right? He went and what? Hid. Why'd he hide? He was shamed. Right? And then he realized he was what? Naked. <laughs> so he was hiding. And, and, and then you remember Adam's line, the greatest line of all line? God says, hey, who, what happened? And he said, that woman, don't, don't point to her. Don't point to her. <laughs> do you want to go home? <laughs> that woman you gave me made me do this, right? And this is the story of us. Because when we do something wrong, is it our fault ever? No, I had a bad childhood. Oh, I didn't like the mask rule. I mean, this is what's going on in our world right now. I didn't like how the election went. Listen, this is the conversations that are going on right now. And they were the same conversations that are going on in the garden. And there was consequences of Adam and Eve sinning. Do you remember? They got kicked out of the garden, which means they didn't have access to what? The tree of life. And from that day forward, every single person lives in the consequences of that decision. You know why? We were created to live eternal. Do you realize that? In the original plan, we were to live eternal. I want to fast forward to the book of Revelation. At the end of the book of Revelation, it says, on both sides of the river, there will be the tree of, guess what? Life. And its fruit will bear every month of all 12 months. You know what that means in heaven? I don't know what the tree of life was, but whatever it was, it's found in Genesis and it's found in Revelation after all sin and after all redemption is dealt with and we will have access to that tree of life. That's better than any Thrive, any Arbon. <laughs> I'm sorry, Karen. It's gonna make you live, all right? Here's my point. Why are you bringing this all to this for? It's because I'm telling you, here's how the devil tried at the very beginning to strike the woman. We see in the birth story of Jesus what King Herod tried to do. He tried to cancel the first Christmas. I know that we're living in a society that right now is, if we can just say this term, we live in a society that wants to cancel culture. If the culture doesn't think, or certain people in the culture didn't think that this is right, they'll just try to cancel you. Make no bones about this. I have some very deep personal opinions of what's going on with the virus. And I definitely believe that part of the fallout of this virus is to keep people from going to church. Because the devil has been at it since the beginning to try to cancel what God has planned. Amen? And there is no doubt in my mind that those powers and those forces that are going on in the struggle between good and evil will use a virus as it used, tried to use a child's birth, as it used throughout the history between Israel and, 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 and ancient Israel and, and the Muslim nation. It will... The world will revolve around a struggle between good and evil. But I want you to go back to Genesis 3.15. And if you can put that scripture rack up there one more time for me, Karen. If you can. 
Maybe. <laughs> if you can't, the devil's trying to cancel that scripture. But uh, I'll read it to you. You got it? Oh, okay. And I will put an enmity. That means division between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. There's always going to be a fight between God's people and the devil's people. Okay? That's what it says. He, referring to God's offspring, will crush your head as you try to strike his heel. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. As hard as the world and whatever it will throw at Jesus Christ himself, at God himself, whatever the devil wants to come at God himself or through his church, the devil will try to strike at our heel, but God will crush his head. Amen? We need to understand that, friends. No matter how bad you think it is in your life and what you're going through and what you're experiencing right now, you have someone who's already victorious over the devil himself. So greater is he that lives in me than he that lives in this world. And we need to be able to walk victoriously and not walk ashamed. Yeah, I'm a Christian. No, I'm a Christ follower. I haven't, I'm not powerful, but he is because he overcame death. And what this is a reference to is the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, don't you think the devil did the happy dance? Don't worry and don't get nervous. People, I'm not doing the happy dance. There's only a select number of people who get to see me to do the happy dance. All right, so my point is, don't you think the devil did the happy dance on that Friday? Yes, he did. But what was coming? Sunday was a coming. And when Jesus came forth out of that grave, he told the devil once and for all, you think for over thousands of years you have been victorious because you have watched people not be able to get the tree of life. And you've watched people die. You know, just this morning, a good friend of mine lost their father. That's tough. Yesterday, 30 West Virginians died due to this virus. Listen, that's a lot of people's dads. It's a lot of people's moms. We have frontline workers that are every single day doing everything they know how to do to preserve and save life, and they're unable to do it. You don't think that becomes mentally mentally tough? So I'm going to wrap this sermon up. The devil has been active in trying to cancel Christmas for a long time. But he will strike at his heel and he will crush his head. You know, I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't. I do some of y'all. I know you got a big doctor's conference tomorrow for Ian. And we're praying hard. We've been praying. And we've seen God do great things because he's going to try to strike at a heel, but God's going to crush his head. You know, my friend who just lost her father, probably feels hopeless today. You know what I sent her? I said, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. God knows what it feels like to lose a son. He understands what it's like to experience death of a loved one. But you also know what God knows? He knows what Sunday feels like. And I'm telling you this Christmas season, you know what kind of Christians we need? We don't need Christians who attend funerals. We need Christians who attend resurrections. 
You know what we need this Christmas season when everything's trying to cancel Christmas and the message? We don't need Christians to retreat. We need Christians to live victoriously. You can say, well, how do I live victoriously with a mask? Let me answer you that question. My Jesus is greater than a mask. My Jesus is greater than a virus. He's greater than a doctor's appointment. He's greater than what is taking place in our culture. And this is what I want you to go home with. And this is what I want you at home to be empowered with. When the world tries to cancel Christmas, you know what God says? (laughs) I know this is probably, I think what he said, I don't think God said, here, hold my beer. But I think what he said is, here, hold the grape juice. Watch this. Watch what I'm going to do. Oh, you think you got my son, Jesus? You think you got him on the cross? Well, Sundays are coming. And I think we, as the Christ followers, the ones who have come to say, I trust the Lord. I sing the songs. I take communion. I listen to the message. I pray the prayer. I try to do what God wants me to do. And you know what? I think there's a lot of us that are just feeling like we're defeated this Christmas season. We're not defeated. We're on the winning team. So let's start living like it. Let's start blessing others. Let's let children who we've never met and we probably will never meet, let's let them open up a Christmas card and be like, wow. For five coffees, basically, at Starbucks. Let's not let the lack of PS5s (laughs) affect our Christmas. Let's talk to people about what really Christmas is about. Let's pray. You know, Father, as I think about you, as I think about the big picture, what took place in the upper story, I think about just that you knew that you always had a plan. And I just think about throughout history, how many times has Satan tried to destroy your plan? I think about the people coming out of Egypt and when they had to wander in the wilderness and when they crossed the Jordan to inherit the land that you promised their forefathers, the land as you describe as milk and honey, and they enjoyed it and you were blessing them. And then all of a sudden they thought, well, all the other nations have kings and we don't have a king. All we have is this guy named Jehovah who we don't even see. We need a king. And I think about that plan, how Satan thought, well, this is how I'll get them. And then that kingdom divided. And then nations came in and conquered the kingdoms. And I keep thinking about how Satan was sitting back thinking, ha I got him. Now they can't bring the Messiah. I think about a young teenage Joseph. When he found out his betrothed wife was pregnant. And I thought, I think about him wanting and that decision of whether he stays or whether he goes. The Bible says he had plans to divorce her quietly. And I think about in that moment that Satan said, ha ha, I got him. 
Joseph will leave, and then even if he's born into the world, he will never become what he wants to become because he's in a single-parent home. I think about the birth of the church, how all the apostles died a martyr's death. Even the apostle John was an exile in Patmos. And I believe that Satan was like, yeah, he may have been born. He may have died on the cross. He may have resurrected, but I'll destroy the church. And then Jesus' words rang true that the gates of hell will never prevail against the Lord's church. And I fast forward to our culture today. God, I think about Satan just thinking, okay, I got them this year. I'll keep them away from each other. They won't be able to celebrate the birth of Christ. They won't be able to proclaim his name. And you say, hold my grape juice. And God, those are on just the big pictures of stuff. But I think about our daily battles that we have where Satan thinks he's got us. And then you remind us, greater is he that lives within me than he that lives in the world. So I'm asking you to speak to our hearts as we prepare to meet around your table this morning, as we're thinking about decisions. God, let us come to the throne. Let us eat of the tree of life. Let us proclaim your victory, your power at work within us, which is the Holy Spirit. This we pray in Jesus' holy name and all God's people say. Amen. We're going to spend some time now to get around the table. And what I want you to do this morning, if you're participating with communion with us, which I hope you do, if you're a Christ follower, the communion table is open for anyone who follows the Lord. Listen, what I want you to do is when you hold that juice and that bread, and I, somebody said, do you realize that the bread's, and there's two cups there, right? The juice cup and the bread cup. So pull your cups apart, and I want you to look at that bread that represents his body. And when you look at that juice that represents his blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary, I want you to think at that moment, that's another one of the moments that Satan thought got him. And then I want you to think about the moment that came Sunday when Jesus said, oh yeah? (laughs) And then I want you to think about your battle and whatever it is right now. I want you to remember that, J- that Satan is always at work saying, I got you. And remember that God is saying, really? So as we participate this morning, what you are holding in your hands is representative of the greatest battle that's been going on since the creation of the world. And you're holding the very key to victory. Let's participate in the Lord's Supper this morning.